Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blindspots Show, where leaders lead leaders. I am your host, Birgit Camps, and the CEOs I invite on the show are both high performers and humble enough to share their leadership blind spots. Today's guest is John Pruitt, and I've known John for almost two decades. And um, so it's kind of hard to introduce John with only two or three of his great achievements as to why he's a high performer, but uh, here we go. <laughs> so uh, I first met uh, John uh, when you were in the banking industry. That's correct. And, um, you know, you you've, you were at several banks, but in, in effect, in a way, you were at one bank because they, they kept getting bought and bought, but you increased their assets by 60% with uh, First Community Bank and profitability. And um, you also actually, uh, a lot of people think, well, bankers don't know anything about running companies, but you you actually started and founded, co-founded an internet uh, access company in the 1990s, had less than 20,000 in capital to grow it. And you, you know, grew it, prospered it, even had a $1.5 million offer for it. And then fast forward here, you're today, you uh, are the president of this uh, Title trucking company, and it was uh, negative in owner's equity, and you turn it around, and it's doing extremely well. And I don't know what I'm at liberty to say in terms of the numbers, so I'm going to turn it over to you, John. And um, you know, going from banking to, to internet access company to now a, a head of a trucking company, that is quite a career. So, um, and I know you've had blind spots and struggles along the way. So uh, I'm going to turn the show over to you because I know people are more interested in hearing about your life experiences. Oh, and well, thank you for being on the show. Oh, well, thanks, Birgit. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate the invite on the show. And I certainly hope that whatever limited knowledge I have that I can um, impart to others that's helpful in their careers and their, their, their journey. Uh, as we talked the other day, Birgit, one of my blind spots. I learned along the way was uh, becoming a better listener. I was uh, working with one of my direct reports one day, going over the goals for the year, and he suddenly, in the middle of my talking with him, says, can I talk now? And I realized that I was really um, just blurting out what I wanted to have happen instead of really listening to my employees to see what they thought could happen, and and also mm. their ideas for uh growing the company and being successful. And so, you know, that taught me a visible lesson because a valuable lesson, because I think the thing I, I too many times I had done was just assume that people were on board with what I was saying and without taking stock in the fact that they had a lot to offer, a tremendous amount to offer in, in terms of uh, their thoughts and ideas. And so as a result of that experience, and there were others along the way, I've become a better listener to my employees. And I think that's important for any leader to do is to really understand their employees and understand where they're coming from and to build a more cohesive culture as far as the, the work culture. Well, I mean, I think if we stop the show today, it's already tremendous value, right? Because in the old days, uh, mostly leaders would tell people what to do. And uh, and that just doesn't work anymore. Where, where were you? At what point in time did that happen in your career? Where where you had that realization? I was still in the banking business, and uh, it was one of the banks that, that I was serving with as in sort of a mid management role, and uh, that's where it happened. And then you know it's happened at, at other times as well. I mean, it's you know you get you get reminders along the way. 
mm-hmm. and and so I think it's it's just uh, that that's where it first happened. And I think the the thing for me was um, as a person, I think too often we we're, we're we find ourselves in autopilot. In other words, we go through our day and we're regimented in what we do, and so we have our our, our habits and things we do just by by our nature and and discipline. And we don't stop to think and reflect along the way. And so, um, so yeah, but that, that's really, uh, and that's something I still have to work at as far as, you know, just stopping to reflect and say, am I, am I being sensitive enough to others? Am, am I really taking in stock what they think? And so that's, that's something that uh, I encourage everybody to do um, if they can. So. Great. And, um, you know, thinking and reflecting time seems to be very challenging to get these days. <laughs> so how do you get yours? Well, for me, it's the morning time. I'm, um, I'm Well, morning and night. I'm a night owl by nature, uh, you know, getting to bed. I never was one to go to bed at 10 p.m. I usually go to bed around midnight. And usually from the hours of 10 to midnight, it's fairly quiet in my house. And so those are good thinking times just to turn off the television and to uh, stop checking email and and just uh, and just you know, just think. And then the other time for me is I usually wake around 5 a.m. in the morning. And so I'm, I, I'm not I'm fairly a light sleeper. And so uh, in the morning hours is great for me, uh, both when I get up as well as my commute time. I have about a 30 minute ride into work. And so using that time to reflect as well. So those, those are sort of the times of day mm-hmm. and night that I, that I, you know, I can reflect and, and just being intentional about it, including mm-hmm. maybe, you know, one of the things I do is make a, a daily to-do list and, uh, you know, I have to write down, you know, reflect and reflect and rewrite. And so just, just to sort of understand where, where I've been the last day and, and, you know, where, where I'm going tomorrow. So, um, that's, that's sort of how, that's sort of the cycle I go through. Uh, to make that happen. Wow. So uh, I want to ask you to elaborate on on how that to-do list works for you, because I think a lot of people these days have a to-do list of a thousand items, right. and then they get overwhelmed by it, and then they quit doing it. Right. How do you have it work so well for you? Well, for uh, luckily, I don't have a thousand things, but I do have, you know, usually usually over 10. And what I realize is I have to prioritize my to-do list and usually Mm -hmm. focus on one item in particular at a time or try to, maybe two, but try not to do them all at once and just really focus Mm -hmm. on that one most important thing and get that done and then go to the next item on the list, realizing that some of those two list items aren't going to happen that day. They may be on that list for a week. They may be on that list for a month. But I, I keep them on there as as a visual reminder of this is something I need to do. And so as as time goes by, obviously some of those things bubble up and they become more important and you address them. But but sort of realizing that you've got that thing to do and and uh, you know knowing and accepting the fact that you can all, things come up during the day, uh, interruptions or what have you that that sort of you know basically it's you you don't work in a vacuum. And so you just realize that, you know, there may be days that you don't get things done you wanted to get done. And while it's frustrating, you just have to accept it and move on and just uh, do the best you can the next day. So, Very good. And I can see why you would have to reevaluate it every day what your top priorities are, given what you just said. And um and to keep it on there, that's interesting, right? So so it's important. It may not be urgent, but it's important enough to keep on there, to stay aware of it. Right. So I think that's so uh, so priceless what you're sharing. So um, 
as was the fact that, you, you know, you're willing to share what your blind spot was and how you said, you know, you, you, it was uh, several different times and, you know, old habits creep in. Uh, so I'm curious, did, did you ever have performance reviews? And I hear in the banking industry, they do do that. And did anyone ever tell you in your performance review at that point in time or until that, that you needed to do a better job listening? Or was that something that totally on your own, you, you realized? You know, interestingly, they did they didn't because a lot of the banking reviews uh, were driven by your numbers performance as far as how much mm -hmm. production you had, how much you grew things, were you profitable? Uh, less of the interview focused on the soft skills as far as uh, human interactions. Uh, were you sensitive to others? Were you kind to others? Were you you know did you listen to mm -hmm. others? And so mm -hmm. so actually. Uh, no, that wasn't brought up in, in any of my performance reviews. And I had some 360 reviews, but again, it was very regimented in how you were reviewed even on a 360 basis. And so, um, mm. so yeah, so that, that was uh, interesting that it didn't come up. And so I think what may have happened is, is I was maybe half listening or not, you know, maybe it was, maybe I appeared to be listening when I maybe really wasn't. <laughs> Priceless so, point. So, so. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I thought, you know, like, right. So, <laughs> so anyway. Well, well, you know, congratulations that you caught yourself in that moment, right? Because it's, it's almost impossible to catch your own blind spot without pain or someone else telling you, uh, right. you know, what it is. So, um, that's the, and, and have, did you have a mentor that helped you be a successful leader or how did you learn to, to be such a high performing CEO? You know, I think it's, president uh, now? well, it's, it's sort of interesting. I think you have, um, life experiences sort of mold you as along the way. So as a young man, I was in scouting. And so I think my scouting experience and I was a patrol leader and senior troop leader, um, so, I mean, I think that those experiences helped. And then when, you know, going on to college, I was involved in some leadership positions in student government and other organizations. And so I think part of it was just how that, how you're built, uh, uh, in, inherently how you're, how you are as a person, personality wise, and how you interact with people. And then obviously your parents, those environmental factors. And then, um, as I got into business, uh, I think some of those early career, early I guess, early life things sort of come into play in how you interact with people and relate to people. And so um, I, I think that it's sort of, sort of you, I wouldn't say you fall into it, but I think you, you have a goal to do something. And my goal was uh, when I was in banking was ultimately to be president of a bank. Now I will tell you, once I got there, it was sort of looking around going like, is this it? Because you, you, you always think, <laughs> yeah. you always think, you know, we reach a goal and it's the pentultimate uh, thing to do. And then when, sometimes when you get there, it's going like, wow, it's not that it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not all that they thought it, you thought it would be. So, mm -hmm. so, and then you look around and you reassess and figure your life out. But no, for me, it was, I think a culmination of just life experience and then, uh, having a goal in, inherently to want to be a leader and, and finding myself in a position where I was offered those positions and, and took them and tried to make the most of them. So, yeah. Um, well, and, and then, you know, even though I know one of your blind spots was, you know, listening at the same time, I know we both talked about our mutual buddy friend, uh, George Martinez and right. how he used to do fire. What did you call that? Fireside, fireside chats. chats. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you listened 
you listen to him during those times, <laughs> right? Well, and he, he's a he's a great leader and, and a collegial, you know, developed a collegial culture at uh, uh, Sterling Bank, then Allegiance Bank. And and I think those kind of cultures attract talent and attract people. And so, yeah, George was very successful with that and certainly consider him a, a great leader and, and, a, and a just a, it's just just a good person. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was it was nice when he would come by the the branch I was working at um, off the Southwest Freeway in Stafford, um, it was just as if he had just, you know, was, it was like almost talking to a father figure. He was very relaxing to uh, talk to and he would have the entire staff there and at the branch. And so everybody felt very free to share with him any kind of challenges or, or uh, you know, difficulties the branch was facing. And he was very open and trying to help solve those. And so it was just, and you know, what a great way to lead. And, and I, I certainly would say that I, I don't have the fireside chance like he does. Uh, I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, the industry I'm in is it's a little difficult to do that when you've got a lot of truck drivers on the road all the time. But we certainly try to we certainly try to have a collegial culture and one that people um, know they're appreciated and know they're valued. Yeah. Well, so tell us a little bit about how you ended up here. Because a minute ago, you know, I, I, you said I was friends of the bank, and then I realized, wow, this is not. Not quite, you know, what I thought it would be. I know when I, you know, built an Inc. 500 fastest growing company, best places to work in Texas, and then sold it. And, and same thing. It was one of those aha moments. Like, wow, is this is this it? So, how did you tell me about how you went from there to where you are now? Well, I had a client who was uh, had been with a large uh, a midstream company in Houston. He was one of the top executives, and he'd retired, and he. He was a client of mine, and he was actually looking to uh, buy a business so he could sort of keep in the game. And he came to me with a proposal to buy a business there in the Galleria, and I, ba I basically told him. And the incentive for me to to there was great incentive for me to make him a loan because he easily qualified. He had the financials to support it, but I told him uh, that that really wasn't a good idea because he was not qualified. He, he didn't have the background in the business to run it. And so he sort of looked at me going like, well, you're telling me you're not going to loan me the money. He said, well, I said, well, I'll loan you the money, but I'm just telling you that I don't think this is a good fit. And so um, from there, he, he made the decision at that point not to buy the business, but he bought another business, which actually happened to be a trucking business, which he was very familiar with. He'd run a 800 to 1,000 truck fleet before, and he had sort of grew up in the business. And so he bought that business, and he offered for me to come on as CFO. Uh, it was an offer I turned down when he first made it to me in 2009. Um, because uh, he wanted me to take a large pay cut. And I, I'd done that before in my career at Birgit, and I, I said, you know, I, I'm not going to do that again. And so I, I held my ground, and, I, and so we, we remained friends, and I stayed at the bank I was with. And, and then about a year later, came back and said, hey, we'd like to have lunch with you. And, and I said, that's great. He says, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I want to talk to you about joining my company. And I said, well, we've already had that discussion. Uh, sort of jokingly, and he he sort of said, "Yeah, I know, but things have changed." So, the the fellow he had hired instead of me didn't work out, and he he basically said he wouldn't like me to join his company, and he was willing to pay me basically what I wanted, and so we we cut the deal, and I joined his company now. And off to Tideport you went. <laughs> and off to Tideport I went, and then sadly and tragically, uh, four months later, uh, I didn't realize that he had some under underlying health conditions that I was not aware of. Mm -hmm. And those surfaced about four months later and he tragically died in the hospital. And so here I was wow. four months into my huh. job and he was, uh, he was no longer there and the family wasn't active in the business. And so we, 
were at a crossroads and, and the family uh, basically took, uh, took a step of faith in me and said, would you, would you stay with the company and run the company? And that's what happened. And so there, there are, that's how it happened. And so that was, <laughs> nine, that was a little over nine years ago. Wow. Well, congratulations. And, yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So, so, you know, you went from president of the bank to now president of Tideport and, right. um, and then, you know, uh, have developed yourself and continue to develop yourself uh, as a leader. But tell me what, what are some of the things or the, the one thing that has surprised you the most about uh, leading people? I know you have now, I think you said about 120 people that you directly or indirectly, or I don't know if you have contractors or employees right. all, but, right. but how, what has, whether it's here or previously banking, what has surprised you about people? I think it's just how resilient people can be. I mean, you, you, um, you know, I think unfortunately in banking, you develop a certain degree of cynicism because you see, right. you know, people, you know, the, you see loans fail and people's character, sometimes services, not too, not too savory. And, and so you, you become a little cynical and so you, you lose faith in people. But what I've seen over my career is just the resilience of people as far as their ability to, uh, to respond to, to, to situations where they're, you know, they're, they're, it's tough situations and the, and yet they respond in a way that that's magnanimous. And, and I think that's the thing is that you have to show faith in your staff. You have to show faith in people and, and allow them enough rope to do the job. You don't, you don't, you know, I've never been a micromanager. Um, I've been micromanaged before and it's not very pleasant to, to undergo mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and so I made it, I, I had a sort of a resolution not to do that to my folks. So, but I, I basically have to trust people and trust in what they can do and have faith in them. And, and then they'll surprise, they'll, they'll pleasantly surprise you along the way. I mean, people are people and, you know, everybody makes mistakes, but, uh, but, but what I found is the resilience of people is, can be amazing as far as what mm-hmm. their capacity to, to do good is and do well. Uh, for the company. And that's what I've seen. Wow. Well, we are we are currently, as we speak, in, in surprising times and challenging times for many leaders of companies uh, because, you know, of this coronavirus situation we're facing today. What, uh, what have you chosen to do about that? Because I know, you know, that can be challenging for, for you know, for both the employees and the employer. Well, I think, you know, well, certainly uh, I advised my, my staff uh, yesterday that uh, basically to stay home if you're sick. Uh, social distancing is not a bad thing if you want to, you know, if you can work from home. And, um, and in, in our business, uh, obviously, a lot of our folks' home is in a truck because we have a lot of uh, truck drivers that work for us. So they have social distancing by definition, but, but just to be mm-hmm. safe. And uh, clean services when they can, um, and and to be mindful of all the all the things we're being told to do by the CDC, which is, you know, don't touch your face if you can avoid it. Uh, wash your hands thoroughly. Uh, do those kind of personal hygiene things that you would a lot of people do by the you know anyway, but some people don't. And so just encourage them to do that. But but really to to be flexible as a company to where. If people, you know, need to work from home because they they're fearful they have a they have a spouse that's that's uh, has immune deficiency issues or they they have uh, family members that they need to be they need to be probably working from home uh, versus having exposure uh, even inadvertent exposure and so I just encouraging to be flexible and to be uh, mindful of that so we're trying to create a flexible work environment more flexible than we've been. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then to, to also just tell people to pay, take care of themselves. And if they are feeling ill, 
uh, certainly don't come in and give what they have to others, whether it be the, you know, the, whether it be this current coronavirus or any other flu for that matter. And so, well put. That's you know. that's kind of like a, and, and it shows your values as a company, right? How how what actions you take, not just the words, but the actions. Yeah, and we we value people. I mean, that people are our primary asset. Uh, we do have trucks, we do have trailers, but when it gets down to it, it's really the people that that get the work done and 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 use the assets, you know, the fixed assets we have to 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 get the job done. So it's it's people. It's a people business. So well, I'm so glad you chose to get out of banking and run a company because <laughs> I think you, you're an amazing leader and you're humble and, um, you know, and, and earlier you used the word flexible. We have to be flexible. And I think this day and age to be an effective leader, you have to be flexible because there's so many changes. The workforce is changing. Um, some people are, are, some leaders are struggling with uh, having asking for input they're like well you know what happens if everybody wants to give input as to what we should do and i don't do what they want me to do mm -hmm. how, how have you dealt with that well i think you know i think you have to have a reasoned approach and and i think the thing is is yes there are times where people will say we need to do this and you say we can't do that we either have there may be capital constraints or maybe you know just just uh, you know operational constraints as far as what mm -hmm. you can and can't do and so i think they the um, I think you have to just first of all treat everybody's idea with respect, and I think people understand that if you know if you, if you listen if you show this look I really appreciate your idea I appreciate your input, but here's why we can't do it, uh, they'll respect that instead of just saying hey well you know thanks for your idea but no thanks. Uh, I think there's mm -hmm. a way to 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 present that to your your I'll, I'll say coworkers, and I'd rather say coworkers than employees because really we all work together for the, the common cause. And so, uh, which is to, you know, help, help, you know, in my case, to help my company be profitable and to make money for our shareholders. And, and so I think you know, everybody sort of pulls on that same rope, whether they, whether they always realize it or not. And then, um, but yeah, but just be respectful of others when they have ideas and certainly solicit the input and ask, you know, and be, be an active listener. And by that, I'm saying just don't, you know, just don't say you're listening when you're, you know, you can hear something, but don't listen. And so, yeah. and so, I mean, just don't hear what they're saying. Listen to what they're saying and, and dig deeper and say, well, why do you, why do you want to do that? What, what, what's your basis of action for that? And I think that's important because then you sort of find, you get sort of down to the core of, of what, what the need is. And, and, um, and so that's, that helps as well. Well, you know, one of the achievements I didn't mention early on, but I can see why uh, you have been so successful in helping others reach their next level of success in their career. Um, so, you know, you seem you you listen to them and you actually consider their ideas. But how how is it that you've been so successful in, you know, growing growing leaders, really? Because that's what you've been doing. Well, I think one of the things that you do is a, is a leader is you you give somebody. You know, if you say, go take that hill, um, you know, it's an analogy um, and, and just say, look, they, they got to take the hill. You try to give them the proper resources to do it and then you let them do it. You don't you don't just say, well, I'm going to walk beside you. You let them actually take the initiative themselves and 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 go for that objective. And I think from that they get they gain confidence. They, you know, they increase their the level of um, maybe self-respect they have for themselves as far as achieving an objective. And then they're, they're, uh, it's, it's theirs to own. In other words, if they achieve the objective, then it's theirs. They did it. 
and you mm. recognize them for that and you give them credit for that and you don't you don't say hey it was all me you say no it was them it was these are the people that did it and so i think that's i think that sort of gives them the confidence and the hope is is that when they go off and several have is is to go off and do their own thing and and they have you know they have people reporting to them and their leading teams is that they do the same thing and you sort of hey look this these are these are cultural seeds if you would that that hopefully they'll go plant and and flourish elsewhere and uh, and that's 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 the hope anyways that and that's the joy is when you see people succeed and you want people to succeed i think that's the other thing is that i don't i don't uh, come to work every day trying to say i'm going to squash somebody i come to work every day saying hey i want somebody to go and do better i just had a, a gentleman leave the company gosh 2 weeks ago and he was a, he was a good employee and he he took an advancement uh, uh, a better job elsewhere, and I, I told him, I said, "Look, I, I hope you have great success, and I think you'll have great success, and I think you will. And hopefully, from us, he learned along the way, you know, how to do his job better, and you know how to succeed. And so it's just, uh, you know, we just, we always want. To me, I mean, because it's a it, very good. It is a small world. It gets smaller as you, as you get <laughs> along in life. And so I think it's mm-hmm. just you, you, you want people to do well, and uh, and so I think just the encouragement." The uh, you know giving them the the autonomy to do the job and and uh, and then watch them go out and do it and sometimes they fail and then when they fail you know hopefully they'll pick themselves back up and you'll say look this is what happened and if it didn't happen let's figure out why and and can we do better and so mm-hmm. not everybody there's not you know I mean the old saying you learn more from failure than you do success is true boy that's I, true for me too <laughs> right and so I think we all we all can see that. So it's just, mm-hmm. uh, and so, so yeah, so people, and so the idea is to be patient with people if they do fail and, and not, you know, not just, you know, f- fly off the handle and, and, you know, say, okay, well now you're, you know, you're, you're on probation or whatever. I mean, certainly there are, there are things they can do that can get them on probation, but I mean, try not to fly off the handle the, too, uh, too fast and, and see what happened and, and try to be understanding. Yeah. How much do you think um, hiring the right person matters versus, you know, creating a good culture where you can develop people? I think it's, I think it's very important. I think it's hard, um, you know, and I think that that's where, you know, the interview process and understanding where somebody might be as far as the personality type, uh, how they work with others. I, I think that it varies by company. I mean, I, as you've seen, Birgit, over your career, there's many companies have very different ways to hire people. You know, it's all the mm-hmm. way from giving them the Myers-Briggs test to, you know, or, or to go through the Berkman method or whatever. They'll, they'll go through very uh, intense me- means to assess the person's personality, their, their um, you know, the capabilities. And even then, even then, there can be failure in hiring somebody. So right. I th- it's just, it's interesting. It's, um, it's a little bit of a heuristic model. It's more of a black box model that, that what makes a good hire. And, and sometimes you have to go on faith. You have to say, well, look, your resume looks like you can do the job. And, um, you know, with we, your know, personality, you, you interviewed well with the staff. Uh, we're going to hire you and we're going to, you know, and you come to terms on salary and compensation. And, and then they come in the door and they may be a, just a roaring success or they could be just a, a, just a terrible failure. And it's just, it's the, it's the uncertainty of the human condition, um, as to, you know, which one that is. And so, um, you know, how so quickly I, do you know? Well, it's usually, 
pretty quick. I mean, um, mm -hmm. usually uh, people come to people come into a work environment with sort of the uh, accumulated knowledge and wisdom and experience they've had from prior jobs. And so how they apply that um, and then how you task them in terms of what expectations you have of them becomes evident, I think, pretty quickly, uh, both how they get along with others as well as how they do their job. Are they doing their job? Are there, is there evidence if, if, say, if they're, for example, in a position where they're trying to produce sales or, or volume, then you'll know, you know, what's their pipeline. So if, if it was somebody, you know, going back to my banking days, we'd always say, well, what's your pipeline of new business? And if they had a very, if they had a very marginal pipeline and that's what they're really being hired to develop, then you say, well, gosh, you're really not developing the pipeline we thought you would. And, and why is that? And so it could be because they're not calling. They're afraid to call. Some people don't like, you know, calling on, on prospects. Some people don't, you, you'd think they would from the resume, but then all of a sudden you realize that the bulk of business they handled in the past had been given to them as a result of people retiring or leaving the prior institution. So, you know, you don't, you know, just somebody saying, hey, I handed a multi-million dollar portfolio doesn't mean that they developed it, right? And so it's, uh, that would be one example. Um, and so I think it's just, I think, but I think within a fairly short period of time, You'll you'll get the you'll get an inclination as to how they're doing, and um, and I guess that's why a lot of employers have ninety day probation periods uh, to because they want to basically try people out and make sure hey are you going to be able to do what we think you're going to be able to do, and and so yeah. I think that's that's uh, that becomes that becomes evident fairly quickly, and it, again yeah. you have to you have to task them to be able to to measure that, so you can't just say well I'm just going to let you float along for ninety days. You really have to say. You have to engage them, and they need to be engaged in what they're being paid to do, and so mm -hmm. that's that's sort of how that works. Well, I uh, I suspect there's going to be a few people listening who uh, themselves want to work for you because <laughs> oh, okay. it's, uh, it's all the experience and the way you handle people. Um, I, I'm very happy that you you know you're a guest on our show, and of course I'm I'm wondering, and I'm sure our listeners are wondering what's you know, what's in the future for you? And would you ever be interested in coaching anybody or, or sharing your experiences with others? Um, go ahead. No, I think I've, I certainly am open to that. And, and uh, you know, if they want to reach me, at my email is jprew1976gmail.com. Just drop me a line and uh, we can talk. But uh, but no, I always find it it uh, fulfilling to do that and to, to help others is, is, a, is a good thing. So... Uh, Very good. Well, and again, thank you for your generosity of being on the show and, and sharing your blind spot and, and also, you know, the priceless uh, feedback you gave for leaders on how to, you know, get to the next level of performance and help others do the same. So, um, you know, I also have a list of the 10 most common leadership blind spots, and you actually hit on some of them. So if any of our listeners want them, then go to coblindspots.com. But otherwise, I will put, John, your information on our podcast okay. link. And um, as you know, I speak several languages, and I, and I would wrap up the show uh, in gratitude by saying totsins, adios, uh, <laughs> and all these other things. But I, I, I don't know who all would be interested in, in and translating that or even would know the language. So how about if I turn it over to you and you can say goodbye to our listeners? Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Birgit is uh, someone I found to be of, of great, have great wisdom and knowledge and I uh, appreciate you listening to her podcast. Thank you. Thank you.